0: Welcome to EDCAST, a podcast brought to you by the Education Policy Center at American Institutes for Research. Through EDCAST, we bring researchers and practitioners together to discuss some of our nation's biggest educational challenges. This episode focuses on equity in education. Today's guests are Peter Cookson, director of AIR's Equity Project, and Angela Manici, a former teacher and director of AIR's Education Policy Center and the Center on Great Teachers and Leaders.
1: Here's Peter. The reason that this series of podcasts is really important, is the issue of equity is really at the forefront of both the policy, the research, and the political fields right now. We have been looking at efficiency for a great deal of the last 20 years, and now what we're trying to do is address the issue with a few, giving you a few basic facts to give you a sense of how urgent this is. 20 million kids live in poverty in the United States. Over half the kids that go to public schools are poor. 1.3 million kids are homeless every night. Kids who are low income consistently do worse in school than kids who have more advantages. African-American kids and kids of color in particular are disadvantaged in the school system, which is shown by a whole array of facts. One of which is most obvious is the graduation rate. Um, So this is the crisis that we face. This is the urgency we face. And uh, I'm very fortunate to be here with Angela, and I'd like to just ask her a fundamental question about how sh- this issue of equity uh, came home to her in very, the very beginning of her professional career.
0: So I think the first time when um, equity in education became an issue that I was aware of, or I would say like my first aha moment, was when I was starting my teacher prep program at Boston University. And right from the first semester, we were placed into um, public schools and my first placement was in boston public schools it was in an elementary school and i remember just thinking that the entire experience that these kids in this school were having was so drastically different from my own and so when i walked into the building it was very dark Um, it wasn't bright like most elementary schools are there were structural problems there were ceilings leaking bathrooms that didn't work when i walked into the classroom they didn't have the same kinds of resources and i just remember thinking to myself I can't believe that kids had a very different experience than what I had as a student and that was kind of like my first um, my first real understanding that um, depending on where you lived and the background of your parents that you might actually have a different experience in education than the one that I had. Um, That was really the first, my kind of first eye-waking experience. My first teaching assignment was actually in Albuquerque Public Schools and that was also an incredible experience for me in the sense that my kids came you know from backgrounds of poverty, they came from diverse backgrounds. And um, I just remember thinking one of the things that you I was not prepared as a teacher um, from a very early point was the actual kind of emotional component. So one thing that I worried about in my classroom is, you know the extent to, you know, what kind of, family supports and resources my kids would have when they left school. So I always remember thinking on Friday when my kids left, would they actually have um, access to nutritious food? Um, Sometimes the last meal that they had in school was lunch and they wouldn't actually come in and have um, another meal until breakfast. So as a teacher, that was incredibly difficult and challenging to deal with. And again, it kind of um, really brought back the point that not all kids have the same kinds of experiences um, in education.
1: For me, school was always a haven. Um, my mom was a single mom before there was a word single mom. And so it was just she and I, and she had a lot of issues, and we didn't grow up with a great deal of money. And so school was always a haven, although I was also a semi-true and runaway type of guy. I wasn't actually a very good <laughs> student, but it was uh, it was important to be there. But the most approximate cause was um, I was, after I got out of college, I was a social worker in New York, was, uh, in Oshinal Brownsville for two years, and uh, that was transformative to see poverty at that level. And I also was in the Army during that period, and I was a medic. So those two things made me think there's, there's got to be a better way. So uh, I got a job teaching, my first real teaching. I did some student teaching in New York, but my first real student teaching job was in a rural school in Massachusetts I walked into the school and I just loved it from the moment I walked in I don't know if I'm a great teacher or not but I just love being there I love the students I love the faculty so as I went back to school and studied some more in in, in sociology uh, the issue of equity became and fairness and opportunity became to me the central issue of both my professional work but also the thing that I believe most deeply in because I know how many kids we lose every day Um, because of lack of opportunity.
0: So, Peter, that's really interesting. And I was thinking back to kind of how you opened this conversation about the statistics and saying why this is such a, um, a really important issue now. And I, I wanted to kind of ask you two things about that. First, um, does this seem, given that we know that inequity in education has been kind of an enduring problem, right? It's not something that just happened over the last decade. It's been something that we've been, you know, has deep roots in our society. So I guess one question I wanted to ask you related to that is, is this getting worse? And and the second question is, like, what do we know now um, that we didn't know before about how to address um, this particular issue?
1: Well, I don't know if it's worse at one level. We know more about it, and that's a good thing. Uh, But we also know because of the larger economic issues and, and what's going on outside of schools that mobility for most poor kids, working class kids, and increasingly middle class kids is blocked. If you're born poor in the United States the overwhelming statistical chances you're gonna die poor. So that's new because there used to be a lot more mobility in the in society, whether or not that was, it wasn't was all necessarily education, had a lot to do with the economy. But that's a huge issue. Now what can we do about it? Well, here's the interesting thing about this. This is actually a problem we can fix. I don't know that we can fix all the problems in the world, the United States I'm talking about as, as a people, but we know how to make schools. We know how to make schools function. We know that with vision, with support of the teachers, with, with the right kind of curriculum, with safety. Uh, I was just in Michigan. I looked at some highly effective schools that, were, that serve uh, low-income kids. They all talked about the school as being a family or a sanctuary. Um, we know that the, very often low-income students need extra help, uh, both emotionally, as you pointed out, emotionally, but also academically. And in fact, there's some wonderful people in the field in the United States, some dedicated, tremendous people in the field doing work in schools that are making the difference in kids' lives every day. What we have to learn to do is, A, recognize that, document it, understand why that's the case, and then be able to figure out how does this translate to a bigger, consistent picture for other kids because, um, you know, half the kids that go to uh, public school are, you know, by the government standards defined as poor. So I feel very optimistic at one level. I think I don't feel hopeless at all about it, but there's a sense of urgency and a sense of political will that really needs to get into the formula to make this really work. So Angela, I know how important uh, improving teaching is for you, and you head up and direct the Center for Great Teachers and Leaders here at uh, AIR. Can you tell us a little bit more about that work, and can you uh, tell us why it's so important at this particular moment in American history and American education?
0: So the Center on Great Teachers and Leaders is a federally funded technical assistance center, and we work with all the states and the territories to actually help them improve their educator workforce. One thing I think I would really like to see, and one thing that's, that's happening in the field, is to states really to lead in this particular area and come up with, as you talked about, these kind of really concrete strategic plans to address inequity in education, which we know has, um, again, has been this enduring problem in society um, and, in, and in education. Um, last year, actually, states were asked um, by the Department of Education to create um, equitable access to excellent educator plans. Um, And if you know something about this issue, if you remember back in 2006, states were asked to create plans that at that time were called equitable distribution. And the idea was that one of the ways to address inequity in education, to address kind of these longstanding achievement gaps, is to make sure that kids, all kids, but particularly kids that come from low income and minority backgrounds have access to excellent educators, to really effective teachers and leaders. In 2006, um, states drafted plans looking at this particular issue, trying to figure out, trying to make sure that kids that came from traditionally disadvantaged backgrounds had the same kind of access for, as those kids that didn't. We know that those plans were created and, and not much happened after that. Um, so last year, the department asked states to, to kind of a second effort around this particular issue. And over the past year, we've been working with states to help them develop their plans. And it's different this time around, I think, than it's been before. Um, one of the things that we've been working with states to ha- actually start to think about is what are the root causes of inequitable access? So why in your particular state do kids, not all kids, and particularly disadvantaged kids, not have access to effective teachers like their their um, non-disadvantaged peers do? Um, so thinking about, like, root causes, for example, um, is it that there's turnover in leadership so we know the research says that teachers will come stay and go um, based on a really effective leader so if the leader is not effective or is turning over um, you know leaving that school we know that it's less likely that teachers will stay there um, but you have to get to the root cause of why that's happening is that because um, leaders are not well prepared um, to address the kinds of issues or to lead that kind of uh, school in that kind of environment um, and if that's the case then we actually start to one of the strategies we would think about is strengthening the the leadership preparation program. So this past year we've been working with states to kind of look at their data, their information. Where are their equity gaps? What are the root causes to um, why inequitable access is happening in a state? And what are the strategies that we think that um, states should apply based on the research and based on um, evidence of what's worked in the past um, to really address and solve this problem? Um, states wrote their plans. They submitted them in June. And right now in the center, um, we're working with states to think about implementation. So I, like you, Peter, I'm very hopeful that I think right now there's a lot of attention and political will um, around this particular issue. And uh, I'm hopeful with kind of the re- bringing all those resources to bear on that problem that will actually move the needle on this issue. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, probably you and I would agree on this, that Things haven't changed for a century around this particular issue, and so we have to do things differently. We can't really kind of tinker around the edges. We have to really be rethinking how we address this problem because it's too important um, for the kids in our country.
1: Well. I want to say thank you to Angela, uh, she, she, she really got this podcast series off to a great start. Her story is uh, amazing and fascinating, and the work that she's doing, she's kind of humble, she won't say, but the work that she's doing both at AIR and outside of AIR is making a huge difference. So thank you, Angela. We really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Peter. It was great having this conversation with you today. Thanks Peter and Angela, and thanks to our listeners for joining us. For more podcast episodes, visit edupolicycenter.org.